0: God's doing something new, all right. Uh, celebrate how many times? Uh, when's the last time you were in one of those little lines? Who's been in one of those little yeah. lines doing this? Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> last time I remember, Buddy and I won. Uh, remember Spirit of America? I don't know if they still have it up on the Potomac. It's like a party ship, and we had just moved to Northern Virginia, and we were still a little conservative. And uh, I'll never forget when we, we said, okay, we'll do it. And we went on that ship and they started doing celebrate. And uh, so uh, somebody, one of the people in the line, pulled Buddy up and got him in that line. It was really kind of funny watching that whole thing. And then they set, I think it was a woman, and she set him on her lap and it was like, what? What? <laughs> But we were celebrating, and that's what it's all about. Well, you know, we have an online service, and we have a pastor that is online, and we got a funny little story this morning. This is hot off the press. Uh, We got that about Manu, just found that out. He was probably watching. And uh, then this one was, uh, there was a DJ on the radio this morning, apparently. Now, this is secondhand news, but Jim, our pastor that was online, saw this. And uh, there's a DJ on the radio this morning. And he said, uh, I went to Salem Fields, and you can just feel the love of Jesus when you walk in those, in, into those walls. And I see some of you shaking your head. Yeah, the love of Jesus is here, isn't it? And he said, and life points that way, too. But Salem Fields is building a wall, and they're going to get life point to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you say? <laughs> Uh, We are going to build a wall out there. I'm getting estimates tomorrow. So uh, we'll just see who will be in charge of asking them for that. (laughs) I told Jim online that he's in charge of asking and let us know how that works out. Okay. (laughs) Well, today is Palm Sunday and we celebrate today Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And as, as uh, Jason said, Manu told us, 500 children, yes, 500 children in India were out in the streets celebrating that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Is that amazing? Wouldn't you love to see that here in America? I would love to see that. But here's an interesting tidbit that connects our series that we've been in, Rebuild, with Palm Sunday. The wall that we've been talking about that Nehemiah and the people built, the wall that we've been talking about, which happened hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ, also included rebuilding the gates of that wall into Jerusalem. Now, I stood up on the Mount of Olives and I looked down at the eastern gate, the very gate that Jesus rode through. It's actually all closed up with cement and when Jesus comes back, he's going to split that eastern gate. Yeah. And it was, it was incredible to stand there and look at that gate. But Nehemiah built that wall and that gate, the very gate that hundreds of years later, Jesus rode through. And they were celebrating the kingship. They'd been waiting for their king to come. Now, they wanted a king to come on a horse with a spear and to kill all of the Romans. But Jesus had something else in mind, and he rode through that gate, and the people sang Hosanna, 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 and they waved their palms. By the way, did you bring your palms today? Yes, you did. (laughs) Everybody wave your palms. There you go, see? Now say Hosanna, Hosanna. (laughs) Kind of like that, kind of like that, (laughs) and that's what they did. And that wall and that gate were used to declare the kingship of Jesus before they even knew who Jesus was when Nehemiah built that wall. They didn't even know who Jesus was. They just knew that a king would eventually come. See, that's how you know God is in something, because it's connected throughout the generations. And the story is consistent and it was from Nehemiah to Jesus to here we are at Salem Fields today, still telling the story, still building a wall, still fighting for our families, and still standing on that wall. And that's how you know God's in it, just like God's hand is here with us today. And, and as we're going to, over the next three years, rebuild a wall, this wall is just symbolic of what's going to happen here. And the people, all of you, we have come together together. And today is that day that we celebrate what God is doing through us, but we're going to lift up and we're going to glorify Jesus more than we ever have because we've seen his hand and we see his hand. And and it's going to change our families. It's going to change our communities. It's going to change people in Smithfield, Virginia, and people all around the world, like in Africa and in India or anywhere else that God sees fit that Salem Fields will reach. So today we're going to look at a portion of Nehemiah, Nehemiah 12. So who brought your Bibles? Anybody? All right, turn to chapter 12. I remember back in the old days, uh, it was just a given you brought your Bible and you could actually hear the pages turn. So let me hear some pages turn. Oh yeah, see, see what I mean? The sounds of the word. And uh, Nehemiah 12, we're going to start in verse 27, so you can find that. And really, if you can't find Nehemiah in the Bible, go to the table of contents. Don't be ashamed to do that. There are times when I have to go... Now, my, my 10-year-old grandson can tell me all the books of the Old Testament. I can do the new, but I never got the old down. So sometimes I have to go to the, to the table of contents. It's all right for you to do that. So we're going to look at Nehemiah 12. Nehemiah 12. The rebuilding of Jerusalem's wall, think about this, it was done in 52 days. Now, they stayed at it, didn't they? They stayed at it. That was amazing. And the gates were all hung in the wall, and it was around now, Jerusalem, which was a well-defended, you remember before the, the wall was down and they were exposed to the enemy? And now it's a well-defended, beautiful city. And there's a large portion of Nehemiah that we haven't gotten to where Nehemiah refills that city with with people. And then Nehemiah, he does something very significant. He plans to celebrate. I wonder if they played that song. I don't know. (laughs) But he planned to celebrate. He took celebration very, very seriously as he took rebuilding the wall. Isn't that interesting? Because celebration was not just something they added on. Celebration was the, the, a step of actually completing the project. It's just part of it. He organized the people. He passed out the assignments, and he oversaw every aspect of this celebration. He took it very seriously. The walls completed, and here's the final step. To celebrate. So let's look at this this passage of Scripture. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, and then it lists all those names, and we'll do dot 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 and continue. For the singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders, Nehemiah says, of Judah go up on top of the wall. Would anyone like to come up on top of this wall? (laughs) Not me, (laughs) but symbolically I will. (laughs) And he said, I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. You always have music that goes along with the celebration. There were choirs, there were instrumentalists, and there were singers, and they all gathered together, kind of like we've gathered together here, except they were probably really lively. And uh, as you are, as you are, 11 o'clock is always like pumped. We love that. So thank you. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) See? Man, you guys. So there are three elements that I'm going to talk to you about. Uh, that are included in celebration from nehemiah's perspective first of all there was great joy it says in verse 27 the levites were brought to jerusalem to celebrate joyfully now one of the main elements of celebration is the expression of joy nehemiah's rebuild project involved everybody it wasn't they didn't shush the children away although the children are having their own celebration or or they didn't say to the old people you guys go sit over there. no they said everybody come on everybody come on we're going to celebrate it was the grandparents the grandchildren the mothers the fathers the teenagers everyone now remember these people had just come through one of the worst times of their lives they had been exiled now none of us probably understand what being exiled is all about they're in slavery they're being controlled discouragement, disappointment has set in to their lives. The worst days of their lives were only a few weeks behind them. Nehemiah had called them to come together to pull everything that they had, their resources and their time and their talents. And he called them, but they were just coming out some of the worst times of their lives. Their forefathers had made some really poor choices that cost them dearly and had ruined them. They'd known what it was like to be stressed out, to be discouraged, to be disappointed. And many of us, many of you have come in here today. You know what it means to be stressed out. You know what it means to be discouraged. You know what it means to be disappointed. Yet he was calling them, in spite of all of that, to come together and celebrate joyfully. Well, how do you do that? Well, we need to take a look at what joy really is. See, today, joy is still a characteristic of a Christ follower. And oftentimes, we don't see that exuding out of Christians, do we? We hear lots of problems, and we wonder how God is going to meet our needs. But we're not celebrating out of this joy within us. Life is tough. Things happen in our lives And it just seems like life can suck the joy right out of us. But actually, that's impossible if we understand what true joy really is. In the middle of any bad news, you know, funerals happen. Doctors give bad news. Relationships go bad. Our finances are like, what? What are we going to do with that? In the middle of bad news, we can still be joyful because we can still have hope. Hope in a God that will take care of every one of our needs as we trust him. Hope in a God that will bring us together and that we can can learn and grow and heal among one another. A God that will see us through no matter what. We can still be joyful. See, if we know Jesus, we have hope. You may know someone in your life that ran out of hope and they ran out of life. In reality, a Christ follower never, ever runs out of hope. We have hope within us and that brings joy no matter what our circumstances are. Joy isn't the same as happiness. Happiness will come and go, and it's based on our circumstances. If things are going really well, that makes me happy. If things are going really bad, that makes me frustrated and sad and upset. Those are outside circumstances determining our happiness. Joy is not that. Outside circumstances have no power over our joy because our joy is within us that has the hope of Jesus Christ, that knows that we're loved and knows that we're accepted, and no one can steal that from us unless we give it to them. That's joy. And they celebrated with joy. Out of that, they cut through their circumstances. When they came into the presence of the Lord, they said, you know what, I'm not going to let that determine my celebration for God and what he's done in my life. And so they, they celebrated joyfully. And that was intentional. It's not something that we just walk in and it just happens. We have to be intentional about knowing that joy that lives within us and knowing the difference between that, our circumstances, and happiness. Another aspect of celebration is a pure heart. It's very clear in the Scripture. In verse 30, it says, When the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially... They purified the people, the gates, and the wall because they knew they were dealing with something of God. They knew that they needed to have pure hearts, and in that day, they did rituals. They'd have to wash their hands, and they'd have to do all kinds of rituals in order to purify themselves. But a pure heart is necessary in celebration. So you can't truly celebrate God with a deceitful heart. Or celebrate when you know that there are things in your life that just aren't right. And we know when that happens. We know when we're drifting away. We know when we're not right with him. And we need a pure heart just as they did then. You know, we don't like to talk about a pure heart because sometimes we think it's, it's just impossible. There's no way. It's impossible. Or we might think, oh, if I talk about that, then people think I'm a goody two-shoes, and I don't want them to think that. And so we kind of stay away from it, and we really don't understand how significant, how important having a pure heart is. The truth is, we need our life cleaned up. We need our heart cleaned up because everything flows out of our heart and our mind. And it needs to be, be cleaned up so that we can find true joy and celebration. See, back in those days, the priests and the Levites called people. They had rituals. In the Old Testament, that's how they did. They sacrificed actual literally, and they, and they had um, ceremony, ceremonies where they would purify themselves. And they purified not only themselves, but the walls and the gates and the people because they knew God was part of this. Well, how do we get a pure heart? Well, we live in the New Testament day. We have Jesus. We don't have to do those rituals. We don't have to abide by those traditions. That's just religious. What we have now, we don't have to go to the priest. We go to the high priest, Jesus Christ, and we can go directly to him. And so to have a pure heart, we have to go before him. And we have to confess our sins. And we have to admit and tell God, I am sorry because I know this is wrong. And I need you to forgive me. And by faith, we have to believe that when we do that, he purifies our heart. He purifies our heart. And by confessing our sins and believing that God has forgiven, forgiven us and surrendering our life to allow the Holy Spirit to completely fill us and transform us. See, that's our will. We've given our will over to him, and then he comes in, and he purifies our heart, and he restores us into that right relationship. I'll tell you what, when you've experienced that, that a burden is rolled off of your life, and you want to celebrate. Celebrate. You just want to celebrate for what God has done for you. In John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. I'm really glad I don't have to do all those rituals, honestly. And I'm so glad what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection, that I can go directly with him, to him and have a relationship with him where I know him. I'll tell you, this week, I, I, I felt so weak. And I, and, and I said, Jesus, you promised me that in my weakness, you will be made strong. And I sensed his hand in my life in such an amazing way. Didn't take away the circumstances. But I gotta tell you, that relationship for me, when I feel completely alone, when I feel abandoned, that relationship never ever changes. So when I walk in here and I'm discouraged, my celebration flows out of that joy, out of that pure heart for what He's done in me. And that's available to everyone, to everyone. When that happens, we truly can celebrate. There's a third element of celebration, and that's simply being thankful. In verse 31, it said, I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. Now, thankfulness is always part of the celebration. The people were so thankful in that day. They had come out of exile and Nehemiah had come. They were thankful for his leadership. They were thankful for God moving in the king of Persia's heart because he allowed them to go forward with this project. They were thankful. You remember how we talked about the enemies would come and they would find the weak spots in the wall and that's where they would pounce. And they were so thankful that God had provided for their protection to overcome their enemies. He'll do that for us too, you know. He's done that in my life. He does that for us. They were thankful for the unity and the cooperation of the families. They were thankful for the strength to do the work. They were thankful for the food that God had provided for them. And, of course, they had to have water, and so they were thankful. They were thankful. No matter what we're doing, thankfulness is not just an element to add on to what we do. It's not an add-on. Because when we're thankful, we're acknowledging where everything that we have comes from, our very breath, our food, our clothing, Everything comes from him. You see, when we start kind of sliding into not praying before we eat, you know, I I grew up in a home where it was just that's what you did. The family got around the table, and every single, there were five of us, and every single one had their own prayer. We would get called on at different times, and I still remember my prayer. Our kind Heavenly Father, thank you for this food. Health, Health and strength, nice weather, food to eat and clothes to wear. Bless those that don't know about you. Help those that are sick become well. Amen. That was born into my heart. I'll never forget one time in the middle of my prayer, the phone rang, and I went, and I said, our kind Heavenly Father, (laughs) it was for my brother, and needless to say, that was awkward, but (laughs) uh, you you see what I'm saying? I was taught that for food, any food, have you ever watched a family in in, uh, a restaurant somewhere? They don't care what anybody else thinks, but they join hands, and they thank God for that food. It's just something that's so easy to start slipping away from. And you know what happens when we slip away from that? We're basically saying, I got this on my own. You see, when we thank God, it washes away pride. It washes away uh, that, that kind of thinking that somehow we worked really hard and we got this. We have to continually remember that everything we have, everything, and we have so much, comes from God. And they were thankful. When we stop remembering and thanking God, we begin to think that we're doing it in our own strength and the pride will build. And before we know it, we cut God out. You see, our ability to make a difference is a direct result of Jesus working in us. And all of our success is in him, through him, and for him. So why wouldn't? thankfulness be part of a celebration. It just is. One sign of a maturing Christian is that we give thanks. You know, I, yesterday when I had my peach and my cottage cheese, I almost just sat down and ate it because I said, it's just the peach and cottage cheese. And then I realized, God, thank you. Thank you for everything. You know, you put your clothes on in the morning. God, thank you. Boy, I'll tell you, that will change your perspective You practice that over time, and it will change your your perspective. Three elements of celebration: joy, a pure heart, and thanksgiving.
1: So Nehemiah sets the stage for for uh, for our celebration, and then when you look in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 41, which I lost my place here, but I have to. Bear with me just one minute, or I might just look at my paper. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter 43, or 12, verse 43, says this. On that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Now, that was a great celebration, I mean, it must have been an awesome celebration. Uh, what kind of sacrifice, the Bible says, uh, what kind of sacrifice did they offer? The Bible says they offered great sacrifices. Uh, how were they rejoicing? It says they were rejoicing with great joy. They didn't clap their hands, and which is the way we do it. I'm not being cruel because I'm just saying they, uh, they rejoiced with great joy. As a matter of fact, if uh, they would have had neighbors, uh, let's just say they had to party here, uh, the celebration here, uh, the people in Nile River would have called the police because they just said, man, well, something's going on over there. That's gone, they're gone uh, uh, just a little bit of crazy. That's how loud they must have been celebrating. That sounds like a God-given, spirit-led celebration to me. I, I would say that the-, the greatness of their celebration was matched by the greatness of the work of God that he had accomplished through them. I mean, they were so excited because God had used them and that they celebrated because of the greatness of God and the greatness of what God had accomplished through them. Now, for believers today, you know, I have people say to me all the time, well, boy, that was, a, that was an Old Testament kind of thing. Well, that's just the story. Continues right on into the New Testament. If you go to the book of Hebrews, it spells out for us today uh, what a great celebration looks like. It says, "Through Jesus, who died for our sins, I might add, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, a great sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess Jesus' name, and do not forget to do good." and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. God is pleased today when you and I continually offer to God our sacrifice of praise. Not just singing a couple songs, but a a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name, and they share with others. The Bible says that when we celebrate like that, Praise and sharing is our way of expressing thanksgiving and joy and celebrating, praising God for what he has done and sharing with generous support to help the others, other people around us. Now, last week, if you were here, and over the last five weeks, we were leading up to uh, our rebuild offering. And over the next three years, and that Rebuild offering will help you, will help people right here, families right here in our church to build a wall of protection around our families. And, and not only that, but it, it's going to go to help other families in our community that are struggling and they have weak spots in their life, they have those low places where the enemy is coming in and and, and portion of that money will go there and uh, to Smithville, Virginia, and around the world. A portion of it will go to the celebration they just had in India this morning. I got some pictures of it. And I thought you might like to see that. This is the children right here. They're marching for um, Palm Sunday. So that that's a, just a little bit about what we do with the money that you give here is supporting that ministry in... Uh, in India, and also in Port Port Harcourt, Nigeria. Uh, And so, and also our annual Thanksgiving offering. You know that offering we take every year? That 50-some thousand dollars we raise? Not one dime of that was used here at Salem Fields Community Church in this building. Not one dime of it was used to pay the electric bill or pay salaries. I love that picture, don't you? Not one dollar that was used for any expense at Salem Fields. It was all used for people here and around the world that don't go to church and don't go don't know Jesus and every week we send at least 12% of our money off the top of every dollar that comes in we share that with others in missions and education church planning pensions and budgets for retired pastors that have no retirement every week that offering is taking. and so we have reason even this morning to celebrate when we take the offering, we take it like we are just had a, an embalming fluid job done on us on our face. But really we need to think about that. when you drop that money in the offering, it's going from here around the world. and it supports what we do here as well. And so this is what pleases God. when we celebrate that, when we praise God, for his goodness in our life. And that's what pleases God. And so in cl- the, so at the closing of the celebration, Nehemiah does what every good pastor does. He took an offering. You know, when you go to church, you disrespect. You're gonna take an offering. You know why? Because that's the only way the church supports the work of the kingdom is through our giving and what we give. Now the Bible says in verse 44, oh yeah, I'm gonna read it from my Bible. Oh, I closed it again. Oh, it came right open. That's a God thing. Uh, It says in verse 44, at that time, men were appointed to be in charge of storerooms, the storerooms for the contributions. Now, they had some some contributions there. They needed someone to be in charge of the storerooms. Now, the storerooms there were a little different than ours now. We put it in the bank. uh, But. The storeroom there was because they brought fruits and vegetables and cows and all that kind of stuff. So they needed a a storeroom for that, needed somebody to be in charge of it. The Bible says, First fruits and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storerooms the portion required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God in the service of purification as did also the musicians and gatekeepers according to the commands of David and the son of Solomon. For long ago in the days of David, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise. This is their staff. They had a director for um, musicians and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all of Israel contributed daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for other Levites And the Levites set aside a portion for the descendants of Aaron. So what what I want us to look at that today just quickly is there's three things that I want us to understand when we take our first fruits offering from our great offering last week uh, after we announced that total. There are three things that we find about this from the, about offerings. And the first thing that I noticed in that scripture is that they were, they gave cheerfully. They gave cheerfully. Uh, Judah was pleased, cheerful with the ministering priests and the Levites. And the Bible teaches us that offerings mean nothing if they're not given cheerfully. You know, the, Paul says in Corinthians, it says, Decide in your own heart what you will give, and then give to the Lord, but give with a cheerful heart. Give with a cheerful heart. Uh, give out of the fact that you are pleased to give because I believe that the Bible teaches us that offerings mean nothing if they're not given cheerfully. So if you're not pleased to give, I don't believe God wants you to give. If you can't give joyfully and cheerfully, I don't believe God wants us to give. You see, I, I don't believe it matters how big or small your gift is. If it's not given cheerfully, then why give it? You see, we're not to give to impress others. We're to give to bless others. And every time you give at Salem Fields Community Church, somebody gets blessed. It might even be you that gets blessed because it's a blessing to give. But every time we give, we don't give to impress others, but to bless us. Jesus told the story of the widow. And maybe you've heard that story. But as Jesus was sitting in in the synagogue, the and he was watching, that's kind of haunting, he was watching as the offering was taken. Imagine that. I wonder how much you'd give if Jesus was sitting beside of you this morning. (laughs) Well, he was watching. And this widow comes in who had nothing, and she gave two small coins in the offering, a widow's mite. That's all she had. She gave all that she had to give. And it says that, that Jesus said that, that she had given more than all the rich people had put in the offering that day. What God looks for always is if we are cheerfully giving to him out of thankful hearts. You see, the second thing we learned about giving is that the offering, the first fruit offering was a tradition and that everyone participated. Everyone participated. You see, the Bible says these offerings were given according to the command of David and his son Solomon. Now, David and Solomon, they lived 500 years before Nehemiah. You see how the story just continues? It continues right down to you and I. You and I have been a part of the story by standing on the wall together. We have determined that we're going to be a part of the story that started with David and Solomon who lived 500 years before Nehemiah. So here's something that had been passed along through centuries and had become a tradition by the time Nehemiah led this celebration. But it was a good tradition. You see, the Bible says it, it included the requirements for the singers and the gate, gatekeepers also to perform the service of Purification. And Gay explained that really well, that God does that in the believer's heart when we confess our sins. But in that day, they were, they, you see how important this pure heart thing is for us as believers? I mean, the ushers, think about it. The ushers, the guitar player, the drummer, the singers, the musicians, and the soloist were all to minister with a pure heart before they stood before the people. You see, they were to be sure that they were not pleasing themselves or getting something out of it or performing to get attention. You see, they needed to be cleansed from any selfish ambition. In other words, those of us who minister, those of us who serve, those of us who serve on staff, those of us who serve on the leadership board, those of us who usher or greet or work in children's ministry or set up chairs or do whatever you to do, God says that we're performing a service for him. We're involved in something of God. And any time, as Gay said, that we're involved in something of God, then we're supposed to do that with a pure heart. How many times have I failed that? You see, God calls us to serve with a pure heart. And see, those of us who minister to others need to do so with pure motives, not for self-gain. What a great tradition that is. Then the third point, the final point, is they were to take care of others. The Bible says they also set aside the portion for the other Levites. Now, the Levites were away serving, and therefore they did not have an opportunity to share in the offerings. Nehemiah recognized that they deserved a part of that as well as our missionaries that we support and others that we support that they're away from the local church and serving in a place where they have to raise their own money. The Levites Levites were away serving and therefore did not have the opportunity to share in the offerings. Nehemiah recognized that they deserved their pay as well. They deserved their part as well. So, So he was careful to take care of others. Now, we will be taking care of others, as I said earlier, in our first fruit offering. So there's three ways that we need to, when we give, we need to understand that giving comes from a cheerful heart. In a moment, we'll take an offering. And, and if you're a guest today, this is just, you came at a lucky day because we are in the last day of our rebuild. And you get to be a part of it if you choose to be. But don't think every week it will come, we will talk about, oh gosh, pastor's talking about money again. It's not going to be like that, I promise. But we are talking about today. So when we take our first fruit offering today, if you can't do it cheerfully, don't do it. And if somebody says you got to do it and you feel like your arm's being twisted or man, you can't get out of here, everybody's gonna be, don't give. But giving is a tradition, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. And the Bible says that everyone contributed. And you know, the thing that we want, it, we want more than anything is for everybody here to contribute. Oh, yeah, buddy, I guess so, you get more money. I can tell you it's not about the money, we want you to stand on the wall because we want God to do something new in your life because that is a promise from God. That's not just a scripture that we went through the Bible and said, oh, that looks like a good promise. That's the promise that God has laid on our hearts If we're faithful to rebuild that he's going to to do something new in our lives. He's going to do something new in your husband's life, in your wife, your children. Give God a hand because that's what he has promised. And so when you get on the wall and you're standing on the wall, if you give a dollar or if you say, I'll pray every day for rebuild, what you're saying is, God, I'm standing on the wall, I'm opening my life to a blessing so that you can do something new in my life and you can take that to your bank because God's gonna do something new. It's a promise that Gay and I believe. You see, I've never seen a celebration quite like the one described here in Nehemiah. That was quite a celebration. You see, but I do believe as we stand on the wall together over the next two year, couple of years and we watch closely at the new thing God does in our church and each of us and our families and our community and Smithfield, Virginia through our giving, I believe when you start seeing that child that you've been praying for to come to know Jesus, when you see that contrary husband of yours come to know God or your wife kneels and accepts Jesus Christ or, or that health problem that you've been dealing with and God heals you, whatever God chooses to do in you in your life, As you begin to recognize that and we begin to talk about that, there's going to be a celebration that breaks out here again like you have never seen in your life if you're willing to stand on the wall. Praise the Lord. So let's just pray. That's enough. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we had together this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have taught us so many lessons through the book of Nehemiah. God, we stand here today on the wall believing that you're going to do something new in our lives. Maybe even this morning, God, you're going to do something new in someone's life here this morning. And as we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning, maybe you've never confessed your sins to Jesus Christ and never been forgiven, never been purified, never felt the cleansing power of Jesus Christ in your life. The Bible says if we will confess our sins, our rubble. Remember, our, our rubble's on the wall. Those things in our life that cause us to not experience the joy and the new thing that God wants to do in our life, it's on the wall. Mine's there. Gay's there. A lot of staff are there. And, and God's going to do a new thing. And so if you have rubble in your life that's hindering the work of God in your life, you just confess that to him. And as Gay said in in the Bible in 1 John, it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, Father, I just believe, and Gay and I believe, and our staff believe, and our board believes that you're going to do a new thing in our lives. And so, Father, I just pray today that, God, that you will overwhelm us today and in the days ahead. And, Lord, we stand ready for you. To minister to us and teach us, and lead us in the way that you would have us to go. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, I, out of breath. I was just running. I just heard we have lots of friends in India watching us right now. So everyone, say hello. 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 Back there's See the you're, waving, Hello. you're waving your <laughs> palms. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so are you ready for this? The uh, what we've come together and committed over the next <sighs> over the next uh, three years. It's amazing, you guys. Drum roll, toes. 968 <laughs> thousand Nine hundred sixty-eight thousand eight hundred and fifty-eight, and. It's a surprise to us because every service, it's been updated. Uh, last night we I
1: had, started with 9:20 this morning. or last
0: night. 9:22. Yeah, 9:20 last night, and it's already gone up that much just since. So we're we're getting close to that uh, seven figures, aren't we?
1: Yeah, so somebody <laughs> go ahead and write a check for 32000 Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll
0: just put it over the edge. All right, thank you guys so much. It's really amazing. We're, we're doing this together, and it's amazing what God's doing.
1: Amen. So we're going to take our first fruit offering. Now, if you have a card that you'd like to drop in, say, you know what, I want, to, I want to give a dollar, I want to pray, I want to be on the wall, because I want to be a part of what God's going to do. Or if you want to give the rest of that money or whatever, you bring your card up and put it in, and we'll tell you next week how much that all has accumulated to but the important thing is, whatever you do today, do it with a cheerful heart, and just expect God to do something you in your life. So as this song is sung, so you got plenty of time, you can do push pay, you can do out the cards, you can, however you want to give, a check, however, uh, but if you gave, if you gave push pay or any other way, and you're not coming up here necessarily, we still want you to come up, okay? We still want you to walk up here, and we want you to walk up as families, okay? And... and if you don't have a family, adopt one. Just walk up with somebody. But just come up together, and Kelly and Jason are going to be here, and they're just going to give you a little cheesy magnet uh, to put on your refrigerator to pray uh, for uh, rebuild as you think about and remind you what God, and look for a new thing because that scripture's on there. So Here we go. Here we go. Okay. <laughs>